Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Shot of Time. It's the podcast where we recap Netflix's series 1899 and Amazon's The Wheel of Time. And today we're doing 1899. We got season one, episode five, The Calling. And I'm here calling my first mate's Nate. Ahoy there, Nate. Ahoy, Steve. Land ho, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. How about yourself? Excellent. I am over the moon right now because this episode absolutely blew me away. What about you? What did you think about this episode just before we start getting into anything? Oof, curveball on you. <clears throat> I feel I feel like it gave away the entire show. Hmm. Is that a bad thing? No. No, but just there was such a slow buildup through those first four episodes. They just they just dumped on us mm-hmm. for number five, and I was like, "Oh, I was waiting for some M Night Shyamalan." I mean, it's possible. It's possible that we get hit with another curve in the next three episodes after this. But I was like, "Wow, you guys <laughs> really just dumped on us right now." Um, I think the showrunners we keep talking about. I keep talking about how they did dark. And Dark was very much the same way. Like uh, the first series, like, you know, you think you got everything figured out and you figured everybody out and their relationships. And then season two just brings on a whole nother mess. And then season three just piles onto that and makes it even crazier. And you're like, where is this leading me? And it's a perfect ending. Um, Not to say the same thing's going to happen here, but they've got three seasons here. And I think the intention was, was to get our intrigue then get all that intrigue out of the way and then blow our minds. That's kind of what I'm hoping is going to happen anyway. So then on a side note, so you, so dark is finished then, right? All three seasons. Yes. It's a complete series. How long did they take for them? How long did it take for them rather to put out those three seasons? Because I mean, the production values super high and the attention Mm -hmm. to detail as I've seen through our messages with Lindsay is far greater than I thought it was at my, my virgin eyes. (laughs) Um, I, I really don't know the time frame, but I know the three seasons were released. I would say within four to five years of each other, like the main characters who were kids we didn't really see them grow into adults. We just saw them grow into older kids, basically. I, I have complete faith that it's going to keep running. I mean, I'm just looking at like everything that happened in this episode, and you're right. Like a ton of crap happened. Um, can I go through just some just real bullet points, real overhead view here? All right. So we got Ike. His name's on the docket. We got the boy. He can talk, and he has a cute little British voice. We got the boy and Daniel. They're trapped in some kind of reality. We don't know what, but we know they're the good guys. We got Angel and Romero. They're back together in each other's arms. We got Crestor. He's dead. We got open wormholes leading under our bed to dreams. We've got Black Sabbath. We've got Quiburn looking over. I mean, <laughs> the end. I mean, this real. I stood up and applauded when this episode was over. I was in the living room by myself. And I stood and applauded. I was so happy with the ending of this episode. So I think we had two different experiences, and we're going to bring two different energies to this. 
I'm I'm ready for it. Man. Well, before we really get into it, I want to point out something that has happened every episode, but we haven't mentioned it. Um, every time somebody wakes up and we hear either Mara or Quiburn's voice tell them to wake up, their eyes are already open. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. I have not. Um, I noticed it with Jerome last episode. Like it, like... No, they're definitely... Yeah, you're right. They're definitely all open. Yeah, and then they hear Mara's voice telling them to wake up. Right. Kind of adds to the whole, like, Matrix theory, which we are definitely going to get to some Matrix-y kind of stuff in this episode, no doubt. I mean, beat for beat Matrix. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Something else I wanted to bring up was um, the scarabs, because... We talked a little bit about scarabs before, and they're really playing a big role in this episode. They really, like, shine. And, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, how Lindsay and Anthony had done some research on the scarabs. And, you know, I borrowed from them, but then I also went a little further. And I realized, I didn't realize, I learned that scarabs were used when they built the pyramids. Like they actually used scarabs and let them loose, the engineers let them loose and they would follow where the scarabs went to lead them to light. So they would know where to put the windows because the scarabs would instinctively go there. So it seems like that really um, ties in with these scarabs and we have a pyramid, of course. Um, And Lindsay pointed out too that, uh, what was that movie with uh, The Rock? The Mummy. There were scarabs in that movie predominantly as well. I don't really remember The Mummy. It didn't really click with me, but apparently scarabs played an important role there too. And let's see. How does 1899 doing? It's not in the top 10 anymore. I keep checking and it, you know, drops in, drops out. It's clearly not in the top 10 of Netflix this week. But through, uh, I don't know, Netflix released some numbers. 238 million hours of 1899 have been streamed across, which equals 29 million viewers have watched it uh, for 10 hours. So basically, on average, 29 million people have watched this show. So we should have about 29 million um, podcast listeners. So say hi to all the 29 million out there, Nate. I'm saying, where are you guys at? <laughs> that's what I was saying, too. <laughs> but, I mean, that's great that this show is so popular. I mean, I um, I lucked out choosing this show. Uh, completely lucky, because I didn't know it would be like this. I just figured that it would be, like, dark and it would be awesome. And I was right on both counts. I'm ready to start the recap, though, Nate. How about you? Let's do it. All right. Well, we got Mara again. Mara is the wake-up victim, and she tells herself to wake up, if you noticed. Wakes up very similar to our first episode and our first scene of this whole series. She wakes up as a patient. She's got those fresh, like, restraint wounds on her wrists. At first, I thought those, when we first saw her wrists in the first episode, I thought they were, like, suicide scars. But I know now that it's, like, the restraints. Did you think that too about her um, wrist scars in the first episode way back when? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the the most common thing that people could think of right. because there's no indication of a struggle. Okay, so I'm not dumb then. I didn't 
<laughs> you're not you're not as crazy as you let on, Steve. Okay, good. Completely sane. I have my my brain wrapped around reality. Okay, we can do I this. I did not I did not say completely sane. <laughs> like not even not even a little bit. I have the messages to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't release the messages. <laughs> don't release the Steve files. <laughs> And that embarrassing photo from the Christmas party last year. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I'm going to go on with our show here. She wakes up next to her wake-up grave. Uh, once more, she is being dragged around the halls, asking the same questions from episode one. What's happened to my brother? What, ha- what did you do to the Prometheus? And, you know, Quiburn. That's what I keep calling him. But I guess we know he's Henry now, but I'm going to keep calling him Quiburn because I like doing that. Um, she wakes up in the galley bar area on the boat. And that's apparently where she passed out. And the boy is locked in the cabinet with that poker, just like the Prometheus. Like good old times again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we even got Daniel right there, too. Daniel's there. Everybody's checking it out. Uh, Mara, of course, goes to free him, but everybody's like pointing their guns at her. Like they don't, they're freaked out, obviously. Um, Ike is pressing her about the Prometheus at this point. I believe it's at this point that he reveals that his name was also on the docket. If he doesn't do that now, he does it later. And I didn't write it down, but. So while this is going on, we do a little meanwhile. Sauce Boss is uh, with the other crew down below. He's talking about how, you know, we control the machinery, so we control the the ship. Um, Unfortunately, though, Mara is correct when she gave the assessment that Franz is a little boy who can't control power. Because right now he has total control of the power, but like a little boy, he's like... If we go faster, we'll get there quicker. And that's a terrible idea. He's going to burn up all the coal before he even gets there. But he doesn't know that. Uh, he's a little boy who can't control the power that he has. Okay, yeah. Uh, some, somewhere around this conversation, somebody reminds him that a uh, mutineer, the penalty is death. Pretty serious. And Franz kind of nods and accepts that. Uh, kind of weird. Uh, Ivan, I know her name now. Last episode, I didn't write her name down, and I don't look at my computer while we record, so I didn't know her name. But that's the mom's name is Ivan. Um, she's <clears throat> preaching to the choir, and she's talking sacrifice. And Tove is obviously out. And Crester, she goes back over to Crester, and he's thinking about Ada. And he's got tears in his eyes the rest of this whole episode. He's got a pretty, he's got some wet eyes. He's he's an open weeper. <laughs> Yeah, they're talking about Ada saying that she was always different, never afraid. And they're talking about the voices in Ivan's head and, you know, something we in modern times now know that like, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean God's talking to you. It could mean, you know, how you have an inner monologue. It could mean you're crazy. But Ivan's just taking it as, you know, this is God telling me what to do. So uh, which one is it for you, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) I always have an inner monologue going, and I can't shut that fella up. And (laughs) 
<laughs> I usually do what he says. <laughs> That's fair. Um, she says to Crestor, you helped her kill that boy. And at first I was like, oh, we got some backstory. But then I was like, oh, she's talking about like just now. <laughs> they killed the boy like just now by throwing him overboard. So that was a little, a little dumb thing went through my mind there. Did you catch that immediately or did you think the same thing that we were getting a cool backstory? I thought that we were getting some, some insider info. Cool. Okay. All right. This is great. I'm glad I'm, <laughs> it's refreshing to know that like my, my thoughts are being shared. They talk about a promise that they made to each other. It's obvious that Tove killed someone, but it was different. That's what she says. It was a different situation. Um, so just a wild guess. Maybe she killed the guy who got her pregnant. Maybe it that's, wasn't a consensual relationship. Uh, that's precisely what I thought. Right on. From, from how vague, how vague of a description it was. It, uh, did not seem very consensual. Nah. But they have a pretty great idea, a pretty simple idea. Like we were talking about what their, what is their promise? And like you said, they gave away a lot of stuff. They gave away the Tove Crestor promise. As soon as we get to America, we're going to run away. It's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> what else would you do? <laughs> I mean, I know Crestor was talking building the church with his family and stuff, but I don't know. Would he have done that? He might have. He might have gone with his mom because he seems pretty weak-willed that he'll do what Mama says. I say he's Mama's boy. Yeah, she was, but she, he is not Mama's boy in her eyes. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Okay. Tove says, "I'm going to do something I should have done a long time ago." She grabs a gun. She runs out of the room. I immediately thought she was going to go shoot Ivan. <laughs> Did you think that too? <laughs> no 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 i i guess i didn't really think at that moment i was just kind of like well let's see where this dumpster fire goes <laughs> yeah i i don't think i had any preconceived notion of where i mean now you saying that I, I don't know why i hadn't thought that that makes the most sense yeah i was worried she was just gonna blow her mom away and <laughs> <laughs> she has more reason than that i, I give her less credit than I should. <laughs> All right. Next scene. I don't, I don't have too much to say about this, but it's Clements and Lucian kind of putting all their cards on the table here. And, um, Lucian reveals that he's like painfully in love with Clements. Um, I, you know, lovers quarrel, cool boots. What can you say? She had those awesome red boots and she was showing them <laughs> off for us. Um, I don't have much else to say about that scene. Do you? Any thoughts about Lucian and Clements? No. Just the boots. All right. Yep. So this next scene is, I thought it was great. Um, Olick and the boys, they've been talking. They like, I've seen this scene like at work before. Like when I used to work at Applebee's, like a bunch of us would get pissed off about something and then we'd all storm up to the manager. Hey, this schedule sucks. And there's like five of us there. It's kind of like what Olick and the boys are doing here. They're like, we want to know what's going on. So they're kind of addressing the captain in such a way. Right when they do this, though, they don't have to because Tove comes in. She's kind of seeking a truce. That's why she's there, not to shoot anybody. But just her presence being there 
um, they have to readdress everything. And so there's a new person in the room. We got to tell this new person what's up. And so Mara instinctively runs to the cabinet to protect the boy. And let's see, before we get to the matrixy part, I wanted to reiterate that I believe that the boy is Tove's boy. Did I tell you that last week? I'm going to say yes. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I'm really just basing that on um, anytime they would talk about the boy, they would look at her belly and they would rub her belly and then they would talk about the light being in her belly and then the light illuminated and the boy showed up. Um, I'm just basing this off just visual clues, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see if that was, Tove was her boy and then Mara is like her, like, adoptive his adoptive mom or something. I don't know. Makes sense. But yeah, they matrix it though, man. They, <laughs> it gets real matrixy here with the bullet, even like Daniel jumping across and he's got his cool overcoat looking like Keanu Reeves diving yeah, I was, across. I was kind of waiting for Morpheus to pop up. Yeah. <laughs> Neo, this is how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they, they freeze time. They do the whole bullet thing where she can like touch the bullet. It wasn't hot for whatever reason. Uh, maybe I was thinking about that and I was thinking maybe like in this time situation, they're frozen in time. So perhaps the heat of the bullet froze as well. I don't know. It, this doesn't really make much sense. What happens here? <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm going to tell you that when I saw that scene, I was like, all that energy that comes out of the gun Mm -hmm. and she just kind of plucked the bullet out of the air. I mean, I know everything's frozen. That's fine, but I'm pretty sure that when the scene cuts back in, you don't see any muzzle flash or you don't see any smoke or anything like that. Hmm. So I was like, where, where'd all that, all that go, all the energy, all the, the smoke mm-hmm. and things like that. Everything just kind of comes back to life. Maybe it was there because they did instantly cut over to Daniel flying through the air. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think the bullet was removed from the situation, and that's why we didn't like hear anything break in the background. Well, the bullet, yeah, the bullet was removed, which I mean, I guess if you want to get even nerdier about it, that bullet still has energy in it. So. Hmm. And it's still traveling in a direction. So the, I, what did Mara like do? She, yeah. Right. So she, what did she do? She like, she just kind of moved it aside, didn't she? Or she, she threw it somewhere. Yeah. She moved it aside. I guess she could have grabbed Daniel and manhandled him in midair too, if she wanted to. But so that bullet still had plenty of energy and it was traveling in a direction with that amount of energy, whether it was how Mara moved it. Or what? So I feel like we should have heard something. So it's, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just overthinking a detail, or maybe the production team missed something. Yeah, I mean, either or is acceptable. That's why we're here is to point this crap out. So <laughs> deal with it, 1899. Yeah. Well, they, uh, she gets the boy out. They literally exit stage left. I checked. It was stage left. (laughs) 
I mean, to the group, though, like magic had just happened. They just disappeared and everybody is panicking as to what happened. Um, the siren starts going off and everybody's even more panicking. Okay, I don't know what I mean by this, but I, I wrote in here, the boy leads Mara past Angel, who yeah. is not handling things very well right now. <laughs> yeah, so Angel pops out of his room and he calls Tamara and the boy and is like, hey, right. what's going on? And then they just kind of blow past him and he stood, he just stands there in the doorway looking confused. And then pretty soon after that, it pans back to Angel within probably the next two minutes. And he just looked like he's coming off a three-day meth binge. Right. He's not which, handling it well. Which then later in the episode, he looks completely normal. So when he's back with Ramiro again. Mm, I would argue that. I would say he didn't look normal. He looked like he needed a lot of comforting. Well, I mean, he looked scared and upset. But if you look at that middle scene where it's just him sitting in the room, mm-hmm. he's got crazy lines under his eyes mm-hmm. and they're more red than they should be from just crying. Like there's something more physically wrong with him. Oh, whoa. And and then when you see him again with Ramiro, yeah, he looks upset and things like that, but he's not, he doesn't look like he's traumatized. Wow. The way he did in that middle scene. Maybe he turned into a werewolf. (laughs) That would be, that would be something. The garlic's coming back. Yeah. Right on, man. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Right on. But for here, like Ike grabs Daniel back in the room. He's like enraged and he's like trying to like shake some answers out of Daniel or something. Uh, they're both confused. Neither one of them can really help each other. Um, Tove runs to the captain like you're you're in charge here. You got to do something. But Daniel is the one who um, seems like he takes charge. He agrees with the captain. And as soon as Daniel agrees, that siren goes off or like it stops, I should say. So it almost seems like Daniel, his calmness actually calmed the siren down, perhaps. We've seen this whole episode, so we know that like it's just Quiburn like monkeying with those big green buttons in his office, making mm-hmm. these noises, I'm sure. But at the time we're watching this, it seems like Daniel's in control. All, All right, right, as soon as... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, then the, the, the clock starts, the clock noises... Yeah. Or I'm sorry, do you, do you have something before that? That's exactly where I was at. Those ticking mm-hmm. noises start. Yep. And then all the NPCs, they start reacting to the ticking noises. It's funny you say that because that's what I thought when I saw them all start moving. I was like, oh, man, they're all NPCs. <laughs> I was grateful to see that it was all like our side characters, our no names, until we see Yuck. She's caught ticking fever. She's doing the thing. And so does Crester. Crester. We got Dr. Porkchops, Dr. Murray. Oh, um, how how didn't I notice Dr. Porkchops? I don't know, but he was predominantly marching to his death like everybody else, that death march. Hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, Crester. I mean, he's been a jerk, but I didn't want to see one of our main characters go over. We got stuff to learn about him. We got to know how he got his scars. I mean, come on, buddy. Not no mo. <laughs> it's not your time, Crester, but apparently it is. 
Um, oh my God, garlic man, Landon. He caught ticken fever. He took that garlic off and he marched in time. All the guys, except for like our one guy. I, I was really sad to see him go because, like I told you last time, he's like the best comic relief ever. I want to know why he took the like all the other NPCs just went about their merry business and just like walked forward, but he had to take the garlic off. Yeah, I think it was a, I think it was a visual prop just to show you that he was crazy or something, or that he was he had ticken fever. <laughs> but yeah, the um the mom says that the devil is calling them. I think that's what she says. Even yeah. Eugene, like Sauce Boss. Franz sees his buddy Eugene marching off. So like even the crew, so even like Franz is feeling it. I would feel it. I work with a Eugene too. Like I don't work with him, but he's a contractor that we hire all the time. He's a great guy. And if I saw Eugene marching off to his death to, (laughs) I would cry. I would absolutely cry. I would not, I would, Eugene's bigger than me, so I couldn't hold him back. But I know how you feel, Franz. I know how you feel. I don't want Eugene to do that either. Yeah, Ling Yi, she's trying to stop her mom from going over. The coat, the jacket, did the jacket go overboard? I don't know. Like, <laughs> like she's like everybody. So how about you? Like, if you were to do this, if you were one of the, uh, the ticking, ticking fever people and you were marching off to your death, what kind, of, uh, what kind of dab do you think you would do off that boat? Got like a 50-foot drop at least, maybe 100. Hmm. I think I'm going to try to corkscrew the whole way down. Oh, I always get nervous and it turns into a cannonball. <laughs> that works. You could just dolphin dive down if you want. Just chest <laughs> first. <laughs> chest first? What, like like a belly flop? What do you mean? I don't know what a dolphin dive is. Yeah, isn't a dolphin dive where you like, you kind of like throw your arms back and your legs are behind you and you go like chest first at the water? I thought that was a dolphin dive. I don't know. I'm thinking of a swan dive. That's probably what I would do. Or like, I would try to do like the straightest pencil dive I could. Mm. But, oh, that would be a bad idea though. Cause then you would have all this projection. You would like shoot way down to Atlantis or something. I just hope one of my friends would see me and yell, do a flip. <laughs> <laughs> they would say they, do a belly flop. They want to see you get hurt. Yeah. That's what good friends do. <laughs> Well, what's, what do we got going on here? We got everybody's upset. Um, Neville is looking out the window. He's he's flipping out. He's one of the only crew guys left who didn't get ticking fever. Um, Clements and Lucian are upset. Um, we keep seeing like the bodies. Like that was so unsettling. They would just be talking, and then like a shadow would go by the window of like a body like flopping past, and it was unsettling to me. I didn't like it. I don't know why it made me think of like you ever been somewhere and a bird hits your window. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know. why. I don't, I had to <laughs> chuckle the first time that I saw a body go by. Right. Wasn't it, wasn't Clements was like, mm-hmm. was that a body? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for some reason, the first thing I did was, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of terrible, but I kind of chuckled and I was like, it's like a bird hitting your window. What was that? <laughs> Well, man, we got Mar and the boy, though. They got something going on here. First, the kid writes down, they are listening. 
And I was like, you could have done that this whole time. You could have written anything down and it would have been fine. But he chooses episode five, the calling. It's fine. It's fine. But then after he writes it down, then he whispers in her ear, ask the creator. So he like first writes it down, but then he whispers. So he's kind of breaking a bunch of rules here all at once. I don't know. I thought that was interesting, but I was really happy to hear that he has a little cute boy British voice. Very psyched. I think it would have been even better if he had like, like you're Southern. You mm-hmm. have, you, you have a little bit of that Southern twang. Oh yeah. But I, I wanted to hear some like, some Mobile, Alabama, like, hey y'all, hey y'all, they're listening. That would have been even better. I know they're going to America, so yeah. no one on the ship is from America, but that would have been the boy. Awesome. The boy could have been from anywhere. That's right. Well, at this rate, I don't think it really matters where anybody's from because they can all understand every like everybody. I don't know if you've realized that. Have you realized that, like, when someone speaks in Danish to someone that speaks in German, they totally understand one another, but the yes. dialogue... Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if we had talked about that yet or not. I know that we talked... Was it, like, episode two or three? They were like, I don't know what you're saying. But now, all of a sudden, everybody understands everyone? <laughs> everyone doesn't understand everyone, but they did explain in episode one that... um that German is close enough to Danish that Tove can understand the languages are close enough kind of thing. Like, I guess they're both not romance languages, but that's something that they mentioned that, you know, Franz is able to communicate with him with his German for some reason. Yeah, I guess you're right. But I mean, it's clear that other people can't understand other people. They make that very clear. So I don't think it's just willy nilly. Hmm. I'm going to stand by the creator on this one. All right. Well, I'm going to pay extra close attention in episode six All right. then. All right. 1999, Nate's looking out for you. I got to prove you wrong on something. <laughs> well, Sebastian is in on this. He's in on this whole thing. Um, that, that glance back at the bed, back in episode four, when he looked at the bed, we know now that he knows that the hatch is under there because he's in on this whole operation. Uh, we're going to call them Henry's minions, if we will. The guys that definitely work for him. Sebastian is definitely one of them. Um, Daniel's mixed in there somehow or another. I'm not sure how. It's possible Jerome could be one of Henry's minions. Quite possible. Oh, um, I, I want to hear. I want to hear that one because I would well, not have guessed. I would not have guessed Jerome. Well, based on a couple things, based on that uh, he wasn't supposed to be on the ship, he's another stowaway. Uh, And I come up with another reason later on. We'll get to it when we get to it. But for right now, Sebastian is hurriedly pressing that triangle cheat code, doing his thing. So here we got, you know, this whole situation, the ticking, it's freaking everybody out, obviously. So the zombie boy killers and the zombie boy lovers, they meet up. And they unite under this really odd situation. They're all trying, they decide, let's see if we can stop these people. They can't. They try to team up and do it. Daniel doesn't even pay credence to any of that crap. He just wanders off because I think he realizes it's a lost cause. 
we got Olik here comforting Ling Yi. Olik is our, our house empath. We're glad he's here. Boy uh, leads, we still don't know his name yet, Zombie Boy, leads Mara to the hatch. And he's got Scrappy. And Scrappy does his thing. He not only can open doors, but he can open friggin' <laughs> tile into dream portals of some sort. He leads them to this dream portal to land to the memory, I guess, of Mara's hospital because Daniel kind of um, is not thrilled about this and he's like, why did you bring her here? And the boy says something along the lines of like, well, I, she has to remember. So he intentionally brought her here to like her, her memories, I guess. But I, I, I loved these portals. Um, what are your thoughts about these portals? Um, I wonder if every time you go through a portal, if it takes you to a different place in, well, no, no, I guess that proves my own thought wrong. Uh, yeah. Mora's leads to Mora's and Ike's leads to Ike's. Yeah. But Mark, Mara was in Ike's. No, mm, she and the boy were in her room. Oh, no, 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 no. I meant Mara and Ike went through a portal together, mm-hmm. yeah? They went into Ike's portal in his room. So his portal led to uh, his dream, and her portal led to her dream. So I assume uh, that, like, if Lucian been, has one, it goes to his dream. It's based on who's staying in what room. Yeah. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure. Maybe it was just, like, they were just a general thing. And, like, if Mara went through the portal in Ike's room... Like, you could go in tomorrow's, or if it had to be Ike's. But okay, that makes sense. Um, I think my biggest question with the whole thing, because I think it's a super neat concept, is mm. if they all connect. Mm. I'm because, guessing not. You don't think so? I I don't know. I'm just guessing not. I'm thinking that this it directly tied into their own memories and their own experiences. But what if it's to roll with the whole time thing? If to roll with the whole time thing, what if it's a what if it's hmm. just a whole other dimension in general? You know, I saw a Bob Ross meme today, and it really made me think. I love Bob Ross. Right. It's sh- it showed all of his paintings that he did in sequential order. And if you look at all the paintings that he did in sequential order, they all add up to the same thing. The streams connect, the trees connect, the clouds and the mountains all connect. Um, I'll I'll forward it to you later. I was fascinated by this. So it could be the same thing here in this world. Like maybe Mara, if she were to like head due north a whole bunch, she might end up over there in the forest at Ike's Land. Um, I don't know. I mean – I'm thinking that they're all separate, but they could all be part of a grander scheme. Like maybe the portals are just fast travel. Um, so like what, what we're considering the dream as you go through the portal. So it takes you to Mara's memory and it takes you to Ike's memory. Mm-hmm. What if that is, I'll call it, 
like the actual um, world, the actual dimension, and then the boat mm. is like it's, fantasy it's, land. It's yeah, well, it's not only fantasy land, but it's like fast travel because I mean, you hear Ike talk about, he doesn't remember being on the Prometheus and you hear Mara say she doesn't remember being on the Prometheus, but they have memories prior to that. Sure. Like the, like the Prometheus was a step that they missed. Yeah. Okay. So, I don't, and, and maybe they just haven't figured out how to use the quote-unquote fast travel, like, efficiently. Like, you can only go to places that you're familiar with. Well, we've got to take note of her clothes, because when she was dreaming earlier in this episode, she was wearing her patient gear, and mm-hmm. now she's wearing her, her red stuff, mm-hmm. like her regular Mora That's clothes. True. Um, uh-huh. She's also at that host- that same hospital, like at the very first episode when we're hearing the, the Emily Dickinson poem and we see the Black Pyramid and then we see that what looks like a castle to me or I thought it was a castle actually turns out to be this same hospital. It's like a mental hospital. But at this point, um, we're going to go back to the <laughs> fantasy land of the ship. <laughs> um, Daniel is frantically trying to find the boy at this point and fix things. He has that little puzzle slide thing that I love. Um, I think I might, I don't know, that'd be a cool prop just to have, just to make one of those and (laughs) just to have it. (laughs) You can definitely make one of those. Absolutely. Probably pretty easy. It works like a scrappy does. Um, It kind of does the same (laughs) thing. Um, Is this the scene where he he screams the curse word? (laughs) When Daniel comes in and he like sees that the boy went, under the bed and he screams the F word. <laughs> Did you catch that? No. Oh, it was wonderful. Just seeing Daniel lose his cool for a second and, and scream the F word. It was, uh, it was nice. <laughs> anyway, um, he uses his little slotty thing to, to meet up with the boy. He goes right there to where the boy is and they have a little combo. They say they've never made it this far before. So they're obviously like trapped in some sort of reality. The boy's like, maybe it'll work this time. Uh, They talk about how the creator knows that they're there. That's why the boy's being so quiet because he knows the creator's listening. The creator being Quiburn, I guess. And he brought her here to this specific spot so that she would remember. And I'm thinking that his goal is to get her to remember so then they can move to the next step so they can get even further than they were before, I guess. But the boy's hiding in this reality. Daniel tells him to keep hiding. And Daniel exhibits some good parenting in this one because he's obviously frustrated and angry at the boy, but he's really patient with him at the same time. So he's, you know, I thought he was, you know, being a good ally. Uh, here, <laughs> we're going to switch over to Lucian and Clements. Jerome busts in and starts tying them up. This is why I think that Jerome is a company man, because he seems to know what's, what's up. 
and he runs in there to, you know, tie up his friends. Well, not his friends, but the people that he knows so that they won't, you know, be affected by this thing. So it seems like Jerome's kind of one step ahead of everybody else here, I thought. And then it shows us later on that Franz and Tove are tying up the family and Olick and Ying Li. It's, it's a good idea. I would do it too. You tie yourself up for five minutes just, just in case. Just in case. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> Does he, do, you th- do you really think that it makes him a company man or you just think it makes him one of the smarter characters because he realized, mm. what if I just tie them up and then they can't go anywhere? Because he ties himself up too. Sure. Because he does – oh, so he doesn't know if he's going to go crazy. Right. If he was a company man, he would not. Well, okay. I was just kind of putting a few things together. Um, I think you just changed my mind, though, so thank you. <laughs> That's uh, one point for Nate, finally. Dude, you've got a lot of points, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> Here's the creepy thing. Neville Longbottom – Gets the sink ship message again. Why do you laugh every time I say that? <laughs> because he's just like the saddest character in, in some of modern cinema. I just think it's funny that you use him for this guy. That I don't even like- know. I don't even know if we know his real name. He's just we Neville don't. Longbottom. He's just Neville. We don't. He's Sailor. <laughs> But yeah, he gets that creepy message again, sink ship. And he's like, what, this one? <laughs> the one that we're on? I don't like that idea. I don't either. I think it's a bad idea. But Daniel uh, tries to go and hack into some tech support again. D- did Daniel ever make it by your house to help with the microphone? Did he come? I sent him by there. Did he make it to help with your microphone? Doesn't sound like it. Um, no, he definitely didn't. Had some strange, very sweaty man from Geek Squad come over, but he said Steve. He said Steve sent him, but I was like, I don't know. This is not the Christmas gift I wanted. Well, at least you didn't beat him with a shovel. I mean, that- yeah, that's very true. I did shine a flashlight in his eyes. <laughs> yeah, our coal guy. He's asking a lot of questions. What's that? What's that? And he's like a little kid, like not knowing what's happening, and then he decides that Daniel's a wolf. Landon, thank you. Your legacy lives on. You have convinced your friend of the wolves. So, uh, yeah, he tries to attack Daniel as a wolf, but Daniel has his little device, and he has a cheat code, a little power-down cheat mode. He can just hit a button, and that dude just goes down. So he doesn't actually go off the ship. He's, I guess he's just laying there dead like an NPC would, I suppose. Maybe his body like uh, vanished like it does in a video game when you kill somebody and their body just kind of vanishes. What's the respawn time? <laughs> he respawned out in the ocean. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> but yeah, we see Sebastian do the same thing later on. So he's got one of those little slotty cheat codes things too. But first, we're going to go back to the mental health center. This is Mara, and she's kind of walking through her past. Like I said before, she's got on her red dress, um, so she's not reliving the past, even though it kind of seems like it. I mean, she's there in her modern clothes. She's talking to the, the ghost of her father who tells her, and us, 
that we're not asking the right questions. So, you know, you said we got a lot of things resolved in this episode, and we did. But there's still, like, much bigger questions at play. Like, where is the jacket? I think that's the question we're <laughs> really supposed to be asking. That's the big one. See, she wakes herself up in her room. Again, she, like, whispers to herself to wake up. We see that those fresh restraint marks are still on her arm. I guess they've always been there this whole time, but it seems like they're even more there now. I don't know, but I think it's just the same marks. This next scene is classic. (laughs) She... She sees Ike. She runs up to him. Oh, Ike, Ike, I'm so happy to see you. He turns around, shoves her against the wall. What's happening here? He's like super pissed. That was such a great um, juxtaposition between the two of them seeing each other. Yeah, he was not happy. It's like he woke up from a bad nap. (laughs) From a bad life. (laughs) But I mean... Right here, she explains the whole thing. She ex- she doesn't hold anything back. She's like, oh, yeah, the pyramid. I think those bugs do something. This is what's happening. Uh, time stopped. Isn't that crazy? You know, she just basically doesn't hide a thing from Ike. Uh, and we know this. Uh, we talk about Mara Singleton here. Um, she reveals that, like, and he's he catches on immediately like Singleton like the ships she's like yep Henry Singleton was my father we find out that she is Henry as well to her brother her brother calls her Henry to mess with her so that letter to Henry was actually to her so explained another thing explained um here's a big explanation this whole thing is a human behavior experiment that my father is running my father is crazy and rich and he's running a huge experiment that makes total sense um the whole ship conspiracy makes total sense she's talking about the letters and how everybody got them and then she goes real fast and is talking about her brother syrian who she didn't get along with and here's the timeline Her brother sends her the letter saying, you know, dad's did something weird. Um, You know, I got to tell you this stuff about dad. She goes to meet him at the docks. He's not there. The reason he's not there is because the day before the Prometheus was at that same dock four months ago. So her brother Syrian was supposed to meet her there, but instead he's on the Prometheus heading away. And it seems like he's not supposed to be on the Prometheus by his own accord because he wanted to meet Mara. So that was that was said really fast, but I had, I had to rewind it. Did you catch it when she was talking about all that? No. Okay. Yeah, I didn't either at first. <laughs> That's why we're here again. Okay. Okay, yeah, and obviously he's been missing since. As she's talking all this stuff, though, she eyeballs out the side of her left eye little scrappy running around. She's a good scrappy catcher. She catches them right away in that little glass. And that's in Ike's cabin. You're correct. That was Ike's desk. All of Ike's stuff was around there. So she uses scrappy and she kind of shows, it's really neat the way she shows the captain. She's like, I don't know how this thing works, but it works. So let's do it. (laughs) So I, I like her unconfident manner there, but they go into Ike's memory here. They're in the forest. 
and again these dark gateways in the middle of the forest, this is just one more tie-in to our show, The Wheel of Time, which is how I started this whole podcast, was recapping The Wheel of Time. These gateways like this are very prominent in Wheel of Time throughout the whole series. They show up a little later on, but that's exactly what it looks like. And the um, movie Time Bandits, which Titanosaur and myself and James watched it, and we did a recap of um, Time Bandits. These same black portals are present in Time Bandits as well. So we picked well with this show, I would say, with these time portals. I was very happy to see them. So speaking of all those gateways, we're going to take a gateway out of here, Nate. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All righty. Are back, Nate. This be a good time to mention that we've been listening to Taubner Knot, his song Scorcher. He released that back October of this year. He released a two-song EP. You should definitely check that out on Bandcamp. He's on Instagram as well, Taubner Knot. He has got he's got that name everywhere. He's got a lock on it, just like Intro Void, just like Void Master. Taubner Knot is his own man. So we're back on the show, but before I wanted to do a little uh, correction. Last week I was saying that we were going to do 1899 and then we would take a little break before we started doing season two of Wheel of Time. My buddy, the Marshland Monster, James, had a pretty good idea. After you and I finished watching this series, uh, James and I are going to rewatch the Wheel of Time, kind of a spoilery version of Wheel of Time. So we've already seen the whole season. We've already recapped it, but we're going to come back again because we have lots of time between 1899 and the season two of Wheel of Time, which is going to start in March. Gives us exactly enough time for us to rewatch those episodes and to re-examine them. And I would absolutely invite the listeners to do so. You can do one of a few things. You can go ahead and you know watch Wheel of Time now. Just go ahead and binge it and then listen to our podcast as it comes out. You can listen to us along week by week. We're not, we're not going to spoil too much, but the fact is, is that the first time we watched this, James had never seen it, and he was watching it just like me and Nate are right now, just kind of guessing as he was going. It's going to be a little bit different, but even so, we're not going to spoil a whole lot. Or if you're a book reader and you've read the Wheel of Time books, which tons of people have, and maybe you're not interested in the TV show, you can just listen along with us because you know the story. The Wheel of Time story hasn't changed much between the book and the TV show. Or you can just listen to me and James talk because he's way more entertaining than me. If you think me and Nate are entertaining, you should hear this guy. He's like me plus Nate plus Heather plus insanity. <laughs> he's a fun person to listen to. Or the fifth option is not listen at all. Just turn it off and don't listen. That's easy. That's probably the easiest option. That's what everybody's gonna, probably going to do is not listen. But I urge you to listen. Let's get back to our show, though, however, because I'm still here with Nate. Hello, Nate. Hello, Steve. Hey, I took off my dirty hoodie. You got to take off your dirty hoodie, t- hoodie too, buddy. It's getting hot uh, in here. <laughs> I, got, I got an insulated long sleeve under this. Yikes. Is your house cold or what? No, I'm... <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna laugh. I'm still pretty cold from work. I spent pretty much the whole day outside, so same here. It's like it's like I think the high for today was thirty three. 
hey, we're in the same boat. That was our high today as well. And uh, I was outside working too, so. Screw that. I mean, I like the cold, but today I was I was just, it's Monday. It can't be cold and Monday at the same time. It's just not good. But it's 1899 day, though. I was very excited all day today knowing that we were going to be doing this and that I can watch episode six when this is over. Woo. I, you are so much better about watching the episode the day after we podcast or the day <laughs> of the podcast. Like as soon as we've, as soon, what was it last week? Wasn't it last week that you finished, you finished it and you were like, or maybe it was episode four. You were like, that was really good. And I was like, we like just got off of the call. (laughs) (laughs) What are you, what are you doing? You're making me feel bad. I'm addicted. I could do this every other day. I swear. Let's get back to Ike and Mara. They're in the they're in the spooky woods there, that where we left them with those time portals or the dream portals. Maybe we hear Nina start singing, and she's singing a little song that goes something like, "Thoughts are free. You can guess what they might be. They fly by like shadows in the night. No one can know them. No hunter can shoot them. And so it'll always be." Thoughts are free. So that's Nina's little song there. Um, I think just the main takeaway is that thoughts are free and that our brains are huge and bigger than the universe. <laughs> so pretty cerebral show. And I think her uh, her song, you know, goes hand in hand with that. Yeah. We walk up to Ike's burnt down house. But... You know, he's he's doing all the usual confused sh- stuff. We're on a ship. How does a whole landscape fit inside of a ship? Well, Ike, read some Emily Dickinson, and then you'll find out. <laughs> that's, that's all I can tell you. So now we're going back to the last time we're going to say the guy's name, Neville Longbottom. He's in panic mode, and Sebastian just shuts him off. Starts dragging his body why is he dragging his body it doesn't make a darn bit of difference where he's the body is i have no idea but we uh he drags the body off for whatever reason um we hear mara tell us or she's telling ike perhaps that she remembers being both a doctor and a patient at the hospital she doesn't quite remember who she is and it is here at this moment that Ike shows her the signature. We were wrong earlier in the episode. Um, everybody was yelling at us. Okay, y'all were right. Stop yelling. It's here that Ike shares his signature. And this is why Ike has been acting so freaked out is because he's revealing to us now his signature was on the docket. He has no idea about that. So he's flipped. So let's see. I guess the sound stops at this point. Everybody gets happy. Angel Ramiro. Oh, yeah. Angel and Ramiro. Dude. Okay. You were saying Angel was acting really weird. Like super Mm -hmm. weird. And then we're getting this shot of like Angel and Ramiro and they're, they're okay and stuff. But we hear Angel singing this song called La Tarara. And he's just singing this Spanish song. 
And I looked up the lyrics to this song because he only sang like one small part of it. He just sang La Tarara, La Tarara. I was like, what is La Tarara? Second verse. She wears a green dress full of frills and bells. She sports a silk tail. Holy crap, huh? Hmm. Virginia, what are you doing in his mouth? What's going on here? And she's pretty much been absent for the last two episodes. More or less, yeah. I mean, she she's our she's our closer of this episode. Uh, yeah. well, no, she's not the closer, but she closes the scene out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, looking stunned. She looks completely stunned, um, like she just woke up from a dream, basically. And I don't know. I'm a Virginia fan. This is the best she's ever looked. Because she doesn't have that severe look on her face. She doesn't look like she's conniving or anything. She just has this clear, you know, kind of happy expression on her face. Sun's in the background. I was thinking to myself how beautiful she looked. And then Heather is like, she looks like the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, we think different ways, I guess. <laughs> What did Jerome do here? I wrote down whatever this means. Jerome. Ha ha. Hell yeah. Oh, that's why. Ha ha. Hell yeah. Because that's (laughs) what Jan Gall said to me. We've been communicating with this guy, Jerome, on Instagram. Jan Gall has been posting stuff on Instagram. Myself and Lindsay have been posting stuff on Instagram. Uh, I wrote to him saying something along the lines of uh, Lucian sucks, you know, Jerome forever or something like that. That's and that's what he responded back to me. Ha ha. Hell yeah. Thumbs up emoji. Cry laughing emoji. I'm like, Jerome is talking to me. Jerome talked to Lindsay. He like he reposted one of her posts. I don't know. I just bought it for whatever reason. (laughs) No, that's cool. Intervoid and Jan Gall, best friends forever. There you go. Uh, yes. Okay. I, I, I was looking at this other word I wrote down. I write down a lot of weird things, and then I'm not exactly sure why I write them down. <laughs> but I wrote down Salome, A-S-A-L-O-U-M. Uh, that's the movie that Jan Gall was just featured in, and I don't think it's been released yet. It's been called a gangster horror set in the wild west of africa sounds wild um it looks wild too like the trailer looks awesome so i just wanted to to bring that up they also say it's a gritty crime caper a supernatural mystery it's on shutter it already is out um so we could watch it on shutter anytime we want if we want to see jerome being a gritty crime paper caper gangster in the wild west of africa (laughs) it sounds wild but yeah, we so we got our gang here. You realize the mom had the ticking, the ticking fever. What was her name? Yuck. No, not yuck. Um, Ivan. So, yes. Yes, she had it and she survived. Yes, thanks to the uh, the tie down. Yeah. So that stuff actually works. Okay. Yeah, we got Virginia just in time before she. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did skip a whole bunch of stuff. Here we go. 
Um, so Jer- Jerome Montasm gives them no real explanation. When the mom comes back to life after the ticking disease, she's really, she's normal all of a sudden. She's crying for Crestor. She actually is mourning him. I thought that maybe she would, uh, you know, oh, my poor Ida, Ada, I mean, and then Crestor too. Oh, no. But she actually has remorse that Crestor's gone. So that's something, I guess. But, but this is our crew. We got Virginia just in time. We got Virginia, Franz, Ivan, Anchor, and Tove. We've got Clements and Lucian and Jerome. We still got Sebastian, the red-haired dude. Of course, we've got Daniel. The boy is not here, but the boy is still around, as we know. And Ike and Mora, of course, two stars. We still got Olik and Ying Li, and then we've got Angel and Ramiro. So that's 17 passengers plus the boy. That's all we got left on the boat here. Everybody else bailed on us. At this point is when Steve Barnes stood up and flipped out because Daniel approaches. We start hearing that haunting harmonica sound. That's the intro to Black Sabbath's The Wizard. We reveal that they want to sink our ship. They want to sink the Kerberos and everybody's uh, super flipped out about that fact. We find ourselves in a study, obviously, in the 70s based on the architecture and the objects around. This is in the 1970s. He's got that perforated message that came off of a fax machine or, you know, those old style 70s messages. I'm guessing 70s, but I'm thinking 1984 is possible. And this is why. Because, of course, in 1984, we still had 70s technology. So that's a given. But I'm looking at all these songs that they're choosing for us. And they slipped in that Echo and the Bunnymen song, The Killing Moon, which was written in 1984. Which is why I'm thinking that maybe this is all happening in 1984. Because they're, I think they're trying to use music that is like goes along with the same time frame. Or they're using the music as a clue to us. So just based on that clue, I'm going to say this is happening in 1984. Thoughts about that? What if it's 1989 and we just haven't gotten there yet? (laughs) What's the 89 significance? Like, why do you choose that year? 1989? Wouldn't, isn't that just... 1899 but switched around oh okay 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 all right because i mean i i definitely i definitely don't think it's 1998 or 1999 right right uh whatever year it is well i'm saying just what gosh trying to throw back to what what would that technically be like an not anagram? I don't know where you can just move things around, like just to use the same numbers of eighteen ninety nine, but just switch it around. Yeah, switch the eight and the nine. I get you. Yeah. All right. 
Whatever year it is, though, he says, bring me the boy. He's after the boy, and the boy is hiding, obviously. Um, he's got that cool-ass room, like, overlooking that whole pyramid so he can look out his window and put his hands behind his back and his cool black clothes and look at the pyramid with his cool-ass-looking mullet wearing, like, that wizard ship brain-studying reality-bending dude. I mean... <laughs> I'm just loving it, man. <laughs> he's like my favorite bad guy now. And obviously he's a bad guy. We hate him. We hate Quiburn. We hate Henry Singleton. Why do he do this to us? But I don't know. I love this exit. Like I said, I stood up and applauded and the dog looked at me weird because there was no one else in the room except for me and the dog. And <laughs> the end of a fantastic episode, in my opinion. You have a slight different difference yeah. of opinion though yeah i just i think especially with the ending scene and how you can see like computer servers behind him and stuff like that and the freezing of time and the manipulation of people and that there's only like two well no i don't know four people that have experienced this like manipulation mm-hmm. uh, i just i think it just leans so heavy into the matrix themes that and and the ability to to go in and out of whether it's like a simulation because it makes me think simulation with all the computers behind us and it mm-hmm. seems like there's someone sending outside messages controlling everything and then you have the people inside of the simulation that are you know maybe helping steer the direction of of different people to keep it you know just to their own purposes and things like that i just we've talked before and i had like an inkling that Maybe there was something going on like this, but it just seems, in my in my opinion, that we're just waiting for someone to be like, "Do you want the blue pill or the red pill?" <laughs> like, I'm not saying that it's it's a bad a bad thing. Like, I you know, I want to find out more about what's going on and get to the eventual truth, and hopefully that. Either one, I would love to just have something completely different happen and for me to come back for episode eight and be like, well, what I said in episode five, um, I feel like a real jerk off for because (laughs) I'm wrong, like abhorrently wrong. I would I would love that. I like being wrong. Same. Um, But the evidence is just. It, it's oppressive at this point that we're just we're in we're we're in ye old matrix. Yeah, I, I it seems that way to me too. Um, I, I accept it, and I ex- I'm ready for a twist. I'm ready for something else to happen because I know something else is going to happen. I need but- that twist. <laughs> But I'm completely accepting of all this. First off, because I love dream portals, always have. It's always been a thing. I've dreamed about them when I was little because I saw time bandits when I was very little. 
I talked about that on the Time Bandits episode. I was a very, I was eight or nine, I think, when I saw that movie. And it, every aspect of it made its way into my dreams, into my psyche. And I still think about it to this day. I was very impressionable when I saw it. So seeing these time portals um, just kind of brought back those memories for me. So I loved it for that aspect. But it, it's no more odd to me than dragons or zombies or beautiful high school people dating ugly, nerdy high school people. It's, it's fantasy, and I accept it. Um, I think it's going to – it's already you know, fired off some synapses in my brain, yours as well. So it's done its job already, and we haven't even gotten past five episodes um, so I'm as, I'm as pleased as punch over here in Virginia with this show. <laughs> Is that something you guys actually say down there? <laughs> pleased as punch. That's right. I'm pickled as a pig. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not all good. It's not all good news, Nate. I got some bad news for you. We don't have any letters this week, man. No letters. No letters. Like the first week we had eight letters. I wrote it down here. First week, eight letters. Second week, four letters. Third week, two letters. Fourth week, one letter. Jonathan, thank you last week. This week, zero letters. We have no correspondence with the exception of Lindsay Dunn, who has stepped out of our inbox and into our DMs. So we can't count on her for letters anymore. That means it's up to you. If you're still listening, not you, Nate, you the listener. If you're still listening right now, then obviously you're a fan and you're with us. So please write us. Tell us how the sound levels are. Tell us how we're wrong, how we're right. Tell us how much Voidmaster rules. We need letters. If we don't have letters, then... We don't have letters. So there you go. Um, because we don't have any letters, I wanted to bring up, which I already have, our correspondence with Mr. Jan Gale, which is awesome. Uh, our correspondence with Lindsay, though, is always helpful. You know, she is, we might, I think, I think it happened. Me and Nate, we went down to the adoption agency. We were like, we're looking for someone to adopt, a sweet child. We needed like a librarian. We need a, a film critic. And we need a YouTuber. They supplied. They gave us Lindsay. So she is one of our sweet child buddies now. Her theory that she talked about earlier today was perhaps there's two Ikes. She's really noticing how Ike has seems to have a split personality. And, you know, she jokes around saying it's the jacket. You know, the jacket makes him cool. And when he doesn't have the jacket, he's not cool. But she's a positive there could be double people going around here, which is something to absolutely think about. Um, have you thought about that? Um, no, but uh, it just came to my brain. What if he's just drunk sometimes and not drunk the other times? <laughs> I forgot that he's a drinker. <laughs> I mean, we haven't we haven't seen him drink in a while, but no. maybe they're just trying to. Like they let you know that it's Ooh. happening, but yeah. now we just haven't, it's up to you to remember that. I don't know. I didn't even say anything earlier. I think you guys were sending that when I was at work, so I didn't really respond too much, but 
I'm going to go back in and let her know my thoughts. I don't know why I'm using so many finger guns. Yeah, man. Uh, oh, yeah. I was going to say that we're going to put Lindsay's uh, YouTube in the show notes like we always do. Um, she'll have a permanent spot in our show notes from now on. One of my stories is her website where you can read her reviews, which I read some of her reviews. I read one of uh, Nope because she watches a lot of movies I haven't seen, but we both have seen Nope. So I liked her review of that. And then I'm sitting here with a guy named Voidmaster. His show, his info is going to be in the show notes as well, right beside Taubner Knotts. Voidmaster, you can find them on Bandcamp. You can find Void.Master on Instagram. And last weekend, we found Voidmaster playing a live gig. That's awesome, dude. Is there anything else coming up like that? Any other future show dates? Um, no, nothing set in stone yet. We're talking to a couple of different venues right now about getting getting some some things put together and uh actually steve a little fun fact for you i asked about playing down in richmond and uh tomorrow night we're gonna have an in-person chat about potentially trying to do maybe like a three-show run down there we want to we want to try out going to pittsburgh first to see how we all travel right travel together and (laughs) <laughs> um we'll we'll go from there the boys in the van gonna get nuts <laughs> yes sir yes sir you know you gotta come party with us a little bit heck yes especially if you're in richmond are you talking to, are you talking about the 804 shred bookings yes awesome yes i talked to jeff earlier today myself and that's very good news because their home station their bar is like two blocks away from my house within walking hey. distance and I Even imagine better. that's where they're going to put you up at, in the burnout pit. <laughs> Even better, then. <laughs> well, geez, um, I guess... Oh, I'm sorry. You go ahead. Oh, hey, 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 man. hey, 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 hey. You, you gave me the promotion. Whoops. All right, so uh, I'm going to butcher this. <laughs> Hope not. Steve has got a musical project, Intervoid, which you can find at intro.void yeah at intro.void on instagram you can get updates about the show at sweet sweet child of time pod and you can that'll be updates for both 1899 and sweet child of time or i'm sorry and wheel of time rather correct and um uh my final note for all listeners is Send us some goofy emails so I have something to, uh, I don't know, harass Steve about or something. I mean, I do, I do that pretty much, pretty much at least once a day. But no, send us, send us something. Let us know how bad my mic is, and uh, I don't know. Tell us a funny story. Tell us your favorite scene. Tell us, uh, you know, what you got for Christmas this year because. Christmas is this coming weekend, so uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and uh, God luck and good speed. Heck yeah, man. We never <laughs> gave our email address. We, it's sweetchildoftimepod no, no, at gmail.com. I never gave it either. I keep talking about it. I didn't say it. <laughs> Send us an email. You don't know where, but do it. <laughs> There's a click in the show notes, sweetchildoftimepod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week talking about episode six. I certainly hope so. 
And yes, so, sir. All our listeners out there, please find your water and shade. And Nade up there in Pennsylvania, when you're working hard, find your water and shade, please. Find your water and shade. Find water and shade to you, Steve, down there in Virginia. <laughs> Virginia. <laughs> Virginia. Bye-bye now, okay? <laughs> See ya.